gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty, wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, this is Radio Gormagon. Welcome to Radio Gormagon. This is Dr. J. I'm here with Gort and the Czar, and uh, we're coming from the uh, Castle Sickbay, where 21B is busy vivisecting patients for us, and we will be discussing restaurants tonight. Hello, Gort. Hello, Czar. You can come back now, Czar. Hello. It wasn't so hard, was it? It was not that hard at all. I don't know about talking about restaurants in the sickbay. <laughs> That's how we roll in medicine. We talk about um, restaurants everywhere. I'm guessing these were not hors d'oeuvres. No. They, they were, were a very nice stainless steel pan. It looked like foie gras. Now you got to stay away from that. <laughs> Chocho liver is not edible. No, but it is well preserved. That's true. All right. We've covered various topics in the past, and, and so I kind of threw this out to the group as a topic for this week. It was kind of spawned uh, from, the, from an idea as I was up early one morning and the cooking channel is running like a marathon of the best thing I ever ate where Food Network and Cooking Channel stars go through and, and talk about a particular dish at a particular restaurant somewhere generally in the U.S. Um, that they've enjoyed. So I threw it out to the group. I figured we'd go around and talk about some of the places we've eaten and enjoyed. Uh, I will say that the czar stirred up some noise on Twitter today because apparently he had a, a unique lunch. Oh, that was yesterday. Yeah, camel oh, burgers. Yesterday. Yeah. Camel burgers, right, ground camel meat. And didn't really do anything special to them. Just kind of rolled them up in the, in the balls and pressed them nice and flat. Uh, put them on the uh, grill, direct heat, but medium heat. Because I, I figured I don't want to really cook these too fast. I don't want to dry them out. And, uh, you know, on a, on a toasted bun with a little bit of butter and some American cheese, it was, it was superb. It was like, uh, like a really steaky hamburger. Now, where did you get the camel meat? At the camel store. I suppose it, it was, they have camel stores in Chicago. It uh, well, this one uh, did. Uh, it, w it was sitting in in the exotic meats cooler, you know, with next to the yak and tiger. And uh, no, I uh, I think it was with uh, rabbit, bison meat, possibly some squabs. And it was it was about uh, nine dollars for a couple of pounds of it. So it was it was pricey. So thank goodness it it turned out really well. Myself and the older boy uh, scarfed down the the burgers. Very good. Hmm. I don't think I've seen camel in my local grocery stores. Uh, well, it wasn't a bag and it was handwritten with a Sharpie. <laughs> so you bought it. <laughs> no, it was, it was real, real camel meat. Awesome. Okay. I have a topic related Go. to restaurants. Go for it. Gentlemen, feel free to jump in. I've got my short list. What are the things that restaurants are doing that are really just annoying the crap out of you? Oh, so I actually thought about this particular issue. Uh, when I threw out the, the topic, I think there is a growing trend of restaurants to essentially try to be, it's, it's kind of like the comedians trying to be edgy just to be edgy, right? So I think restaurants are doing the same thing, particularly with organ meat. Like, Pardon me? With organ meats. Or like, like. Awful. Endocrines? Awful. Yeah. Oh. Or awful. Yeah, endocrines. Endocrines. No endocrine chicken. But you look at some of the restaurants and some of the hip, trendy uh, chefs that are coming out, and you look at the, like, 
there's one in our area. Um, I'm blanking on his name. It'll come to me later. He opened two restaurants, one up in Frederick and, and one in DC. And you look at the menu and I get all excited to go. And then you read the menu. I'm like, I'm not going to eat any of this. Like, and I know like Pewter loves some, some unique stuff. Like he loves liver and some of these other things. I, I tend to be a straight, pretty average meat and potatoes guy. I'll, I'll go out on the limb on some things, but tongue, liver, heart, brain, like those things I just don't do. Well, you're going to want to stay away from Dax hors d'oeuvres here in the uh, sick bay. Yeah. The Ritz crackers are safe. You can have the Ritz crackers. Yeah, but, but stay away from the kidneys. What about you, Doc? Any, any things in restaurants that are annoying you? Yeah, so the, the OFL movement has not made its way down to Nashville yet. Thank God. I would say... Isn't that normal probably, cuisine? What? Isn't that normal cuisine in some parts of Nashville? Um, not the parts of Nashville I hang out in. Oh, good for uh, you. I think the most annoying thing in Nashville is that the hot chicken craze has gotten out of control. So hot chicken is the Nashville equivalent of the Philadelphia cheesesteak. And what it is basically is fried chicken that's bathed in either a hot pepper dusting or a hot pepper oil, for lack of a better way of putting it, or a hot pepper paste. And there's a few places in town that do it really good. And everyone's trying to put their spin on it. So there are restaurants that have no business selling hot chicken, and they have a hot chicken on the, on the, uh, on the menu now. So we're like, okay, we get it. Give it up. Don't make hot chicken you know, stay in your lane. So things like that are, um, that's probably the most annoying trend in Nashville uh, right now. Um, there's a ton of restaurants that are farm to table. That's a big thing here. Um, I don't think it's gotten tired yet because all of the chefs are differently creative with different ingredients. So it's not that, you know, everyone's using squash this week. So no matter where you go to eat, it's squash as on everyone's plate. Um, but that's the other big thing in town with all the, new, the, all the newer restaurants is that there's a legion of basically farm-to-table type restaurants where all the ingredients are local and the proteins, many of them are local. Um, some of the fish you can't get local. Freshwater fish you can get reasonably local, but anything that's uh, pulled from the sea, we're a landlocked state, so that has to get imported in. Well, I've got two, and you actually just kind of touched on one there. One is One is annoying to me, but I haven't really – started reacting to it much beyond an eye roll, but it's when they refer to your entree as the protein, when the pretentious wait staff says, and for your protein, and then you tell them that you really just want a pork chop, perhaps uh, cooked to 155, and they say, that's fine. Uh, and I know uh, Mandarin has, has one I'll, I'll add on his behalf in a moment, uh, but then they'll say, and for starch? Well, you know, and for starch, I use starch. You mean a side dish? We can, we can do that. You know, I think what, what that is is an attempt to appeal to the foodies that are out there that I don't know that that's really a crowd you, you can or want to appeal to, but I, I think that the, the use of the words protein and starch, um, that can go away, and I'd be okay with that. The one that I have started reacting to is when you sit down at the table and the waiter or waitress comes up and introduces uh, which I think is always a very smart thing to do, get get the person's name and, and repeat it back to them. You actually get much better service when they realize that you know their name. And then they will say, have you ever dined with us before? And I've started becoming a little sarcastic with them with that, saying things like, no, I'm sorry, I missed the orientation. Is, is there some special class I could attend to understand how to read the menu? Uh, maybe I'm not that, that blunt about it, but um, 
I, I think that restaurants generally work the same way. I, I think there's one or two that has something. Stop staring at me, Doc. It's not not that strange a request I'm making here. Um, anyway, the, the point is, is yeah, okay, if you're looking for a pretense to read us the specials, just announce what the specials are. Don't ask us if we've ever dined in a restaurant before or been indoors or have ever seen indoor plumbing or any of the other implications that come with that question. Now, on behalf of Mandarin, I'll, I'll give you one that really annoys him. It's whenever he orders, and this has happened to me too, but whenever he orders any pork products in a restaurant now, he gets a lengthy explanation about how he really should get it medium rare because really it's completely safe now and it's been safe for the last several years. And, you know, we've been hearing this for probably 15 or 20 years that, you know, we get it. Trichinosis is largely wiped out. That doesn't necessarily mean that, that he wants to eat his pork chop half cooked either. You know, I do think there's a sweet spot above 152 degrees with pork where it just becomes liquid gold and, and it's so flavorful and juicy, but that's a little bit more than medium rare. So, uh, medium rare is a bit fleshy and a little bit chewy, and I agree with them. I don't think I think if somebody really likes it that way, they should feel safe and comfortable ordering it that way. I don't think it should be pushed on the diner that that's the proper way to eat it. And I'll tell you why they they do that. And I accused one waiter of of this is that it's the chef, and it's never the chef. It's always chef uh, is a little bit lazy, throws the pork chop on the grill or the fire and doesn't really want to pay attention to it to make sure that it's done. So, um, if it's a little undercooked, it's okay. Well, you know, I, I think most of us like ours cooked the way we like it, not the way chef wants it done because he's too lazy to put a temperature probe in there and make sure it's at the right temperature. Go ahead. Somebody else now complain, please. <laughs> so I agree with you about the protein, but I think that they're trying to speak to the, um, television shows they're trying to speak to the food network yeah um, because real foodies don't we don't refer to the protein as the protein i mean when i'm ordering something on a menu i mean i'll order a steak or i will order the pork chop or i'll order the fish whatever the fish is <clears throat> but you know and and i've never had anyone ask me about my starch most of the restaurants that uh, mrs dr j and i go to they have everything figured out so right. your steak has these vegetables and, you know, this sauce, and this is how it's put together, and this is what the presentation is going to be. And, you know, basically it'll say, you know, barramundi, zucchini, meslin grease, balsamic vinaigrette, um, marijuana pesto. Great menu in Chicago, but, uh, I mean, Colorado. But, um, you know, that's what it'll say, something like that. Uh, it won't say, um, you know what starch would you like with your pork chop? So, yeah, I agree. I think it's a level of pretension that, that you get the, what's your protein and what's your starch. Now I will say in the DC area, I've yet to run into a restaurant that's asked me that in, in that way, they still do, you know, for your entree or would you care for any sides? I have gotten the other part that the czar complains about not as big of a deal for me. Uh, I'm okay with them saying, have you dined with us before? Of course, you know this means war. Uh, it does. It does. But I wanted to pull a thread that you said. So, so you mentioned medium rare. So this is a thing that Gorty Sr. and I discuss uh, frequently. He likes his meat on the rare side. Like medium rare is about as done as he wants it. And, and that's talking strictly beef right now, which I'm a medium rare guy when it comes to beef. My mother likes it more well done. 
not well done, but, but medium to medium well. That's hard but, to believe <laughs> that you have a mother. I do have a mother. The question I have for you guys is, is how do you define rare, medium, rare, medium? Because I think, I don't think there's a universal understanding of that. I think some people's medium rare is other people's medium. Well, I think well, for me, medium doesn't. I think the chefs will undercook it um, because one person's medium rare is someone else's medium. Um, but I mean, I've seen pretty standard definitions of you know rare, medium rare, medium, medium well and well done. And you know, well done is gray throughout. Um, rare, you know, it's it's still raw in the middle. And you know, medium rare is it's you know beginning to firm up. Uh, medium is pink, but but cooked, and then um, medium well is somewhere between pink but cooked and completely gray throughout. I agree with that. I think that's exactly right. But for me, I, there really is no medium. I, I just use four grades, which obviously is rare, medium rare, medium well, and and well, uh, because I think that of those, medium would be the hardest to define. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I I tend to define medium rare as the outside is essentially again we're talking beef the outside is essentially seared the inside is is pink uh throughout like you don't have a rare uh, you don't have an uncooked portion if you will or or a rare piece in it now mrs dr j's mother has an additional gradation of steak medium rare emphasis on the rare which i think you can only get in new york and connecticut because i think there they try to have 16 grades of cooked uh for the uh discriminating taste of the New Yorkers. <laughs> a guy once told me that uh, people can only distinguish uh, somewhere between three and five grades of anything. Like if I have to pick, uh, did he do it well or not well or kind of okay, we can generally do that. So you look at performance reviews or uh, if I have to rank things and give them priorities, once you get past three to five, it becomes meaningless. And, and so I tend to agree with the czar in that medium is kind of pointless. Like it's saying meh. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's how we grade things in uh, echocardiography as well. I mean, mild, moderate, severe, one plus, two plus, three plus, four plus. I mean, it's just, it's how we grade our severity. So we don't get into little nuances in that that sort of thing beyond those kind of gradations. Now, pork is a, is a different matter. I mean, I think rare pork is like rare beef. It's under 140 degrees. It's very fleshy. Um, you know, you, you, you could almost see it as, as, as raw. Um, medium rare is got a, a, like a pinkish hue to it. There's still a lot of myoglobin left, not particularly fleshy necessarily, but maybe in the dead center. Yeah, there, there's a little bit of soft, gooey texture to it, whereas with medium well, it's almost uniformly beige, but you can see a little bit of color variation toward the center. And well done pork is, you know, completely beige, that kind of cream color beige ecru uh, all the way throughout. Agree? Disagree? Agreed. Uh, I will further stipulate that I think your medium rare pork, I would tend to reserve only for like a pork tenderloin and not a chop. Now, a thick chop maybe, but if I'm just doing a quick chop, I tend to take it up to medium in your description. Yes, I, I agree. I can't eat my pork anything less than medium. It just gives me the willies. You've been conditioned. I have been conditioned, and I am proud of my conditioning. <laughs> so your, 
you're uh, you're probably on the Mandarin side there that you really don't appreciate getting the lecture every time you order your pork medium or medium well, hearing how really you know in the, since the 1970s, et cetera, et cetera, pork is. I'm going to give you the entire uh, history of how trichinosis was first identified and how they, they seem to have eliminated it from American pork. Really, it's a whole 20-minute presentation. I think some restaurants are even putting PowerPoints together. <laughs> if you care to disagree with the chef, here is the PowerPoint. I don't think I've been lectured to extensively. There's the occasion where the wait, the wait staff will recommend a degree of cookedness for either a fish or pork product or what have you. Um, they do get the stink eye when they recommend the pork medium rare, but um, it doesn't go beyond a simple recommendation. Um, Nashville hasn't quite gotten to the big cities with regard to the lecturing and education that is required in order to have a uh, restaurant license. You, you mentioned fish. So I, I love a good uh, like seared tuna and it, yeah. And it has to be done right. Like it is, when I say seared tuna, it is seared on the outsides, maybe an eighth of an inch into the meat. And the rest of that is essentially raw. I mean, it is maybe heated a little bit, but, and I was at a restaurant a week and a half ago and I ordered an ahi tuna salad. It, it, the, the accompaniments that were in the salad sounded fabulous. It's like wasabi, soy dressing sounded perfect ordered it, uh, and I got the lecture. I got, like, the recommendation from the waiter who said, chef recommends me uh, rare to medium rare. And I turned to him and I say, I will have it seared rare. And he nods his head and dutifully writes it down and then goes back. What I got, I would claim, is closer to medium. It was, I mean, it was a good uh, inch-thick piece of tuna and the if you divide it into thirds, the outer thirds were completely gray. I'm That's like, appalling. you ruined a piece of fish. Like, yeah, there's a line cook that doesn't know how to sear correctly is what that is. <laughs> That's right. It goes back to what you're saying about the chef or whoever being lazy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's probably not the chef at all. Chef recommends, but it's the line cook <laughs> that does. And this is, you know, Alfredo in the in the kitchen, he, he doesn't have a lot of experience with tuna and doesn't know. I mean, you are absolutely right. Now, the good thing with tuna is if it is slightly cooked a little more well, um, it's still very edible. Sure. But there is a there is a state that exists, and, and, and you, you hit it exactly, that I would even say maybe even a 32nd of an inch searing, just enough to put some grill marks and gray out the, the exterior surface. Yep. But where the meat takes on like a, and tuna aficionados will know exactly what I'm saying here. The meat takes on like a glass-like quality. Yeah. Oh, that it, is, it just melts when you eat it. Oh, it tastes like butter. My, my uh, Gorty Sr. is that way about salmon. He doesn't like... Uh, you, you said salmon. salmon, right? Salmon. Okay, yeah. He doesn't like smoked salmon as much as he likes like essentially raw salmon. Yeah, I, I will take salmon in almost any of its forms. You know, uh, not not overcooked. I don't like it well um, because it takes on that pungent <clears throat> fish texture and it's a little bit rubbery. But anything from still beating heart all the way to, again, that that just where it 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 turns perfectly pink and consistent in texture throughout. That that's also good. But anything in between there, I'll eat it. Of course, now I have the picture of the czar like grasping a salmon right out of the river and just chomping right into it. I'll send you that picture. 
You and Gollum. <laughs> I do not like Atlantic salmon. I don't know what it is about Atlantic salmon. Um, probably my great uncle, God rest his soul, um, gave me salmon fatigue because every time either we had my uncle over to our house or we went to their house, invariably salmon was for dinner and it was plain and it was well done. And um, it just became tired. But um, Pacific salmon, which is a completely different beast, is exquisite. Um, and I mean, I love it. I love it smoked um, and, you know, grilled, uh, plank, plank, uh, plank grilled. It's when, when it's done correctly, it's fantastic. But it's a, it's a different fish than Atlantic salmon. And I can't even look at the Atlantic salmon when it's in the, uh, when it's in the uh, cooler at our local uh, supermarkets. I got a question for you guys. And, and this happened recently, and I'll tie it back around after you guys answer. Is there something that as a child uh, up through maybe your teenage years, you essentially either didn't like or refused to eat, maybe largely because of the way you had it, kind of like you just described, Dr. J, of you know, kind of the fully cooked salmon and uh, Atlantic salmon, whatever. Is there something like that that you grew up eating or having that you didn't like and avoided for much of your adult life until recently, and you rediscovered it maybe in a different form or different treatment such that you might be open to, to trying more of it? Um, Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts were boiled to death and just had that, the entire house had that cabbage smell, and they were so unappetizing that... <clears throat> they were only made for when my Irish relatives came over and my mother, I don't think even enjoyed making them, but we wouldn't touch them now sauteed and bacon um, grilled and bacon. And they're like the best thing on earth. I, I can't do Brussels sprouts even to this day. I just can't do them. Um, no, I don't like them. I do will it. not eat them. <laughs> not um, now I had to, I had to think really hard on this one, mostly because um, you know, my childhood goes back to 13th century Caucasus I finally did come up with one. Uh, broccoli. I love this stuff now. When I was much, much, much younger, centuries younger, I, I don't know that I really enjoyed it a lot. Interesting. But, I mean, I, beyond that, I, it's really not that interesting a story, and I apologize to everyone in the world. <laughs> was it prepared differently than you eat it now? Um, no, I just think, you know, if I had to guess, I would say it's that the quality of broccoli has improved dramatically. Uh, you know, the, the, the varieties, the strains that you can buy. We gr we tried growing it here uh, at the Dacha, but eh, uh, it didn't get very large. But, um, you know, some of the some of the broccoli you get, um, you know, all, all the all that Tsaritsa does is she, she basically takes a big bunch of it, puts it in the microwave for 60 seconds, and it comes out with an absolutely perfect, pass the fork right through it, but there's still a little bit of firmness to it. You know, it's not mush, it's... It's solid, but not chewy. It's not woody. It's, um, you know, it's just perfect. I tend to agree with Dr. J in, in the Brussels sprouts thing. Same deal. I knew it. Same deal. Hey, hey I come from an Irish family, so we boil everything. Uh, so, yeah, boiled Brussels sprouts, couldn't stand them as a kid, like dreaded. Uh, and you knew from the smell, just like you described. You'd be upstairs doing your homework, and you would smell it, and you're like, oh, crap, Brussels sprouts for dinner. But worse than that for me growing up was cauliflower, and the smell was worse, and it was boiled, and that was the only preparation I ever had, sometimes with this weird, thick cheese sauce that my mom would put on it uh, to try to disguise it, I think. Um, but it was gross. And 
I was down in Tampa about, I don't know, two months ago. And I met up with uh, Darth Mommy. And um, we met up at a local restaurant that I had suggested. And she looked down the menu and ordered this uh, buffalo roasted cauliflower appetizer. And not wanting to be inconsiderate, I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. And I actually told her during the meal that I was never a big fan of it. But I actually kind of thought it was pretty good. Well, well, good. I'm glad, you know, she's not going to find out listening to this podcast that you hated her, <laughs> her meal selection. Oh, she'd be fine with it. She was great. So was Megamind. Yeah. So it was, it was cauliflower for me that, that just. Now let me recently. ask you something. Gort. Yeah. So one thing I'm thinking about from our childhood, especially when you bring up the cheese sauce with the cauliflower, were they frozen or fresh cauliflower? Because I think a lot of the vegetables of our youth, were bird's eye, they were frozen, mom took them out of the freezer. And I distinctly remember there was like little packets of this cheese sauce that you could make with the frozen cauliflower. (laughs) My stomach is literally turning as we're talking about this. (laughs) Uh, uh, It was both growing up. At times we had a full head of broccoli, um, but I do remember getting where you got like the little florets of, Mm. of cauliflower with the cheese sauce. And that was that was like frozen it was you know green giant or whoever so a full head of cauliflower you know that almost perfectly describes volgi <laughs> <laughs> clearly you get the picture of too much hair to be pewter <laughs> well you know volgi was going to join us this evening but apparently he had to run back home as he's hosting a packers party he's got a house full of packers fans which means you pretty much have to stand there at all times with a mop and a bucket <laughs> and you have to have a lot of cheese and beer. And beer. That's right. Actually, I could use a beer. If Dad Ho would come around, I would like to order one. But he's in the kitchen either stealing an onion or, or wrapping a scallion. You know, the other day I caught him in there taking a leak. <laughs> but That was for Doc's benefit because he likes bad puns. You know, for a, uh, a, a, a podcast dealing with echocardiography, we've spent very little time talking about restaurants. Yeah, so we want to go around the horn and, and give uh, – talk about a particular restaurant that we really had enjoyed at some point? Oh, you know, I'm going to pass the buck on this one. I, I have been wrestling with that topic, and I just cannot come up with one. I've had uh, these really filthy barbecue places uh, tucked away in some corner of a suburb or a state, and they're, it's fantastic. There's these little hole-in-the-wall Korean or Vietnamese places that I absolutely love. Uh, Gorty has heard me lecture uh, and just whine um, about the, the glory days of this little Thai restaurant that we used to go to where the, it was set up like the guy's living room and he would come out and he would scream at the television set mounted at the wall because he loved American football. And right in the middle of taking your order, he would just throw his hands down and, and hurl obscenities at the refs on a bad call. And then he'd go into the kitchen and scream at his wife and she'd argue back because she was the cook. Uh, and the food was just just indescribably good and we we literally put um i I would say we went there maybe five dozen times and probably put their kids through uh college uh we we we, in all honesty uh would go there as a you know group of friends would go there and we would order lunch and stay so long that we would just ask for the menus and stay for dinner um, and continuously drink, and they never asked us to leave. They they never, uh, you know, referred to me as sir, which is always a warning, because um, because usually their quest that follows involves leaving. Um, there was a 
a tiny little place near college, a uh, little, little family-owned Korean restaurant that anytime we could save $5 up uh, that we didn't blow on liquor, we would go over there and spend it because you could get a full meal for four ninety-five, including the tip, uh, and they just fed us. It was, it was uh, it, actually kind of uh, interestingly, it was called the Mandarin House, but he had no uh, association with it. And despite its seemingly Chinese name, all they served was Korean food. And they only had about four or five items on the menu. And we would just order different things and pull it in the, the center of the table and just all eat off each other's plates. French restaurants that have been superb, uh, ones that did a, a fantastic white and and dark chocolate mousse blended together. And, and, and would they make these complex, almost um, uh, Mandelbrotian uh, <laughs> Patterns with 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 the with the, the mousse all swirled together. Um, I I could not possibly name a favorite restaurant. There have been so many. Yeah, when I was going through it, I I had a number of those type of restaurants. The the small hole in the walls that you hit on a business trip or that you grew up going to. That is just it's kind of the bar that you measure other things against. And, and in fact, when I go to Thai restaurants, I tend to order the Americanized name is Drunken Noodle. It's the wide flat noodles. Yeah, and and plenty of places. There's a, you know, I went to Mardi Gras one year, and you know, I'm sure many of us have had this experience at two in the morning where you order. There was a pizza place that would sell it out the window, like you you couldn't sit down. There was no sit down place. You'd order a pie or a slice, and they'd serve it out a window onto the street. I got this slice of New York style pizza down in New Orleans, somewhere near the French Quarter, and it was, I swear, the best pizza I've ever had. Now. Probably not. It was more of my uh, state of inebriation at the time. But I do have a couple restaurants worth mentioning. If you ever or our listeners ever get a chance and they're in kind of the roughly Austin, San Antonio, Dallas area of Texas, it's worth taking a trip and doing what I refer to as the meat tour and going down to Lockhart, Texas. And Lockhart has four top-notch barbecue places. And I'm not talking about a Red Hot and Blue or a, some Dave's Famous Barbecue Place. These places you walk into, and they might have a short counter of side dishes. Um, I would almost recommend skipping that. And then go up to the counter and tell them that you're there just to order meat. Um, and then you go in the back. Uh, and the one I'm referring to is Kreutz, Kreutz's Market. You go in the back and they have these big pits where they're doing all the smoking. The whole place just smells wonderful. Uh, and you tell them, I'm gonna, I'll take a pound of the brisket wet, and I'll have two of the beef uh, ribs, which are like dinosaur, brontosaurus-sized ribs, and you know four or five of the sausages. And they roll out this kind of reddish-brown paper. It's thicker than butcher's paper, and, and it's slightly waxy. And they dump all this meat onto you. And at, um, I think it's at Kreutz's, there is no sauce and there are no utensils. So you pay for your meat and they give you a loaf of white bread and a stack of saltine crackers. And then you go eat. Um, and it was, it's fabulous. A couple other places. There was a place in Colorado that my wife and I ate before we were married where I got elk stew. And this is up in like Steamboat Springs area, maybe. It was to die for. It was the first time I had elk. Uh, and it was cooked in such a way that it was just delicious. And the flavors were amazing. I don't even remember the name of the restaurant. If Portillo's. Any, it was not Portillo's. I know what to get at Portillo's, and it's not the Elk Stew. 
Let's see, two others uh, on the on the menu. We took a trip to London as a family about five years ago, six years ago, and we were there for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. And so for Easter morning, we went to church and then decided we need to do something fancy for breakfast. We found a place called My Old Dutch, which um, I'm sure the czar will know the next one that I refer to, but it was kind of like a Walker Brothers and in Evanston, Illinois, where you could get Dutch baby-like pancakes. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, got a, a hoisin duck pancake. And if you can imagine, it's, it, it was a pancake that tasted like Peking duck. Like it was a, it was a very light, uh, uh, savory pancake, had pieces of smoked duck on it with spring onions and a hoisin sauce. And it was fabulous. Like all of us were jealous for her order. And then she poured maple syrup all over it. Oh, she ate it right. She knows She knows what's right. So those are probably my top ones. There's plenty of others that I grew up with around here, you know, Thai restaurants. Um, are any still in business? Uh, which one? Well, any of them. Yeah. yeah. That's the problem. You can recommend a restaurant, and of course you find out, oh, they, they closed 20 years ago. The Thai restaurant that Pewter, Volgi, and I would go to in high school is still open, and I swear it has one of the waiters that was still there. Uh, it, it's still there from back then. Um, it is the restaurant of the infamous two-star F-U-Up story uh, for Pewter. I will say the best, and this, is, this starts getting into dangerous territories when you kind of make these claims. The best burger I ever had is at Poe's Tavern in, on Sullivan's Island in South Carolina, the Amontillado. Uh, it was really good. And they, they do a great mixture of the beef so that it's not it's not lean beef burgers it's it's a fully fully loaded burger it has plenty of flavor and and the toppings everything were fabulous so doc what do you what do you have so um probably the best restaurant i ever ate at wasn't really a restaurant um it was a resort so there's a place called blackberry farm in east tennessee um, and it's a relay and chateau property and they have if you ever get the chance to go it is worth it and um, you know everything's fresh, local sourced. Uh, we did a cooking demonstration while we were there. Um, but I mean, every meal was spot on. And they have this massive wine cellar, and there are wine par- pairings with each with each course. Um, and so, Mrs. Dr. J and I went for our tenth wedding anniversary, um, and the food was just to die for. And you know, given the number of bottles of wine we went through while we were eat- eating, I mean. I can't give you details on the food, but it was just ascendant. And I mean, I completely recommend it. But uh, one of the reasons is that because we were there for a long weekend, we had multiple meals. When like you go to the restaurant, you order one thing. It's like, well, there are different things. Um, the menu is different every day, but um, you know, we were able to just foodie out for an entire long weekend. Um, and that place was just absolutely amazing. Uh, speaking of places closed, on our honeymoon, uh, we ate at the Waterloo House in Bermuda, and they had spiny lobster and prawns that were just amazing. Um, I swear they just pulled it all out of the water that day. Uh, but unfortunately, they closed in 2008. Um, now, as far as holes in the wall and smaller restaurants go, um, I would probably say there's a place in town here called Korea House that is remarkable Korean food and little med student. And I go about once a month for the spicy squid. Um, he loves, loves, loves the spicy squid. 
and uh, the owners just love, love, love him uh, because he's the only Caucasian 11-year-old that comes there and eats squid. And uh, they just think that's totally cool. We just finally got around to going to a Thai restaurant in town called uh, Smiling Elephant last night. And we had the drunken noodles and it was, it was just, it was a phenomenal meal. And we, for years, swore by, um, it's a restaurant down in um, suburban Nashville called Jasmine. Amazing Thai food. Um, the chef, Bobby, he was the chef at a place called The Orchid when I was in med school. And then, you know, he was the chef. He married the owner's daughter. And then he went to a French restaurant in town, got some French training, and then opened Jasmine. And we swore by Jasmine. And we still, it's still amazing. But we swore by Jasmine, you know, and finally we said, let's go somewhere, you know, the other last night kind of nearby. And we said, let's try Smiling Elephant. And it was even better. So, I mean, sometimes you have, you're setting your ways with, this is our Thai restaurant, or this is our burger restaurant, or whatever. Once in a while, there's that, you try something different, you're like, oh, this is even better. So, um, and as far as burgers go, my favorite burger, it's a place in Philly called Monk's Cafe. It's on Spruce Street and uh, around 17th. And they have probably 30 or 40 Belgian beers on tap. They have a beer list of about 100 plus bottles of um, different Belgian and Belgian craft beers. Uh, the mussels are amazing, but they have these these burgers that um, they're smothered in leeks, um, boursin cheese, and it's just, they're transcendent. I mean, they're something else. Um, they take you to another plane, especially if you've had about three or four Belgian beers along the way. Um, those are some of my restaurants. The kind of factory model that Chipotle, for, for lack of a better term, pioneered. Um, yeah, roti's another one you mentioned. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I like roti, um, and I also like kava mezza grill, which is essentially the same thing, right? It's that Mediterranean food. Um, so it's it's good. I, I actually can do those. And, and it's um, I think overall, it's an advancement of food in our country, those type of restaurants. Like I actually think those are a good thing because it's moved us away from the, you know, McDonald's, Wendy's kind of rote uh fast food meals and it's moved us up a notch in in what's available at least oh they're very trendy with the millennials i see why you like them um i i went to a uh, roti the first time about two weeks ago i ordered the lamb meatballs which were very good and i got a cup of water and i believe that was it and i believe that my final bill came to about twelve dollars and fifty cents yeah yeah, Rody, all of them can be a little pricey. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and I, and I know, uh, I happen to know uh, firsthand that teenagers are really, really into Chipotle. I mean, it's almost a mecca for them. They find themselves drawn there. You, if you're ever lost, just, you know, just throw a teenager out of your car and they will immediately navigate you by smell to the nearest Chipotles where you can get directions. But um, Chipotle is another one where um, if you don't watch it, you can run up a really, really big bill very quickly. So that's another thing that they share in common, I believe, is um, they, they kind of kill you with the extras. Oh, yeah. Like $3 for a scoop of guac? Yeah, and it's really funny because uh, the way that uh, Little Med student orders his burrito, he wants queso on the burrito. And before they put it on, they look at me and they say, you know, that's extra. I was like, I know, it's extra. That's how he eats it. He, he, he hits me in the wallet every time. But just put it on there. We know. I actually um, like... I like Moe's better than Chipotle. So do we. 
Uh, we had a chain out in the Chicago area that, that uh, many of us liked out here called Qdoba. And um, the, the chain unfortunately imploded, and I think there's only about two or three left in the greater Chicago area. But the prices were great, and, well, that's probably what did them in. But, um, you know, they had this, you know, buy nine, get one free, uh, and you can mix and match the meals to get your little card punched. And I must have run through about five or, or six cards over the life of that, that restaurant chain. Three of three when he goes to Chipotle, his standard order is three soft tacos, carnitas, cheese, and rice. It's got to be the most boring order, plus he's totally not getting his money's worth. So <laughs> so now that he can drive, I'm like, yeah, you go your own. Like, I just can't even watch. Weak. Would, would anybody like me uh, to read another epic, in, uh, an epic poem in, in record-setting pace? What is your next epic going to be? Beowulf? Uh, could be. I could. I could do it in the original language. Jabberwocky. I could do that in the original language too. <laughs> Twas brillig and the slithy toves to gyre and gibble about the wabe. Snicker snack went the sword. No, that's the Mikado. <laughs> that is the Mikado. So, well, thanks everybody for listening in. This has been, uh, as always, a lot of fun for uh, three of us. Um, sorry, you had to sit through the whole thing and listen to it just to get to the stinger. Um, but, uh, I think I do see Sleestack's face starting to peer around the corner. He's got something. I don't know if it's a broom. I hope it is based on the way he's holding it. Hopefully it's not a stiffened dat hoe that he's pushing from the feet. <laughs> for a moment, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> we'll save that for Peter. I missed him the other day. I really got to get my rifle scope fixed. <laughs> all right appreciate well, uh, it fellas bon appetit good eating everybody yep you guys enjoy your week you too bye see ya good night stop it Zark. <laughs>